Welcome back to The Modified View, the podcast where we get to talk about cultural body modifications from all over the globe. I'm your host, Ashlyn Lane, and in this episode, we're going to be doing basically a follow-up to the last one. While learning about the Maya for the dental modification episode, I was confronted with the fact that there are many more age-related rituals to think about than I had expected. I chose to look at the chronologically opposite end for this episode by going with one of the first age-related rituals Mayan children experience, which is head shaping. Now, much of the context that anthropologists and historians get about Mayan culture comes from modern-day Mayans. Though they are separated by centuries, contemporary Mayans mainly reside in modern-day southern Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador, and Honduras, and share similar values and rituals as their ancestors. The willingness of the Yucatec and Tzotzil to share these traditions guides researchers in contextualizing their observations about the lives of the ancient Maya. When you're ready, let's get started. In my last episode, I covered an age-related ritual that I found to be quite surprising in technique and shrouded in mystery concerning its exact social applications. I will omit much of the detailed Mayan history that I covered in the Mayan dental modification episode, so if you feel that you are lacking any information on Mayan history or culture, you may look there. Mayan head shaping is a particularly interesting type of body modification because they utilize the growth and solidification of the skull during infancy. It was the first step in the long and painful process of crafting the Mayan person. Ethno-historic accounts from the groups mentioned above tell us that female shamans assisted in birth. It is believed that substances containing a child's personality and soul reside in the head. When a baby is born, the shamans immediately wash the child and set out to protect that animating essence in the child. Four or five days after a child was born, the mother placed the baby's head, quote, between two small boards between which they would compress the head tightly, end quote. From Diego de Landa's Relación de las Cosas, the practice was initiated four or five days after birth and lasted for weeks or even months. Currently, we do not have an estimate as to how long the head was compressed for, nor do we know if the planks and bandages needed adjusting. Even modern ethno-historic accounts do not seem to shed light on this, or at least do not record it. After the head was molded, the children were taken to a priest in order to determine the child's destiny and future profession, also to receive the child's name. Later in life, the children would receive different names in a rite similar to Catholic baptism. The oldest evidence of Mesoamerican cranial modification comes from Teohuacan about 7,000 years ago. The Neolithic hunter-gatherer was a woman of high social standing and experienced flattening of the back of her head, otherwise known as superior lambdoid flattening. Typically, compression of the cranium with boards led to lateral expansion of the cranium unless effort was made to limit that lateral growth. 
The tabular erect form is seen in instances of art featuring otherworldly beings that were involved with crafting or creating the first peoples. The tabular erect form was preferred among the Caribbean coast, the Yucatan Peninsula, and in the Guatemalan highlands. This is a cone-shaped form that prevailed in Teotihuacan and a slanted narrow version inspired the western hemisphere of the Mayan lowlands. El Zapotel in the late classic period, home of the Totonic culture, appears to be the birthplace of this tabular erect head shape. It was most common prior to contact with Mexico overall, and most popular in the pre-classic and post-classic compared to the classic period. The Another theory claims the strongest frequency of findings were recovered from the sacred cenote of Chichen Itza. There were many discoveries in human sacrificial pits. Similar to findings at El Zapotel noted centuries earlier, some speculate that the form was associated with traders that inhabited coastal areas. Because this area, with such a high occurrence of head shaping, controlled a large trade network all over Mesoamerica, these findings may point to a socially significant motivation for superior head shaping, where traders desired a distinctive appearance that announced their status. If this is to be considered, we can speculate that head shaping was managed by a politically authorized guild requiring a special emblem or identification in order to trade likely to be conducted between Mayan elite who often exchanged ritual gifts of high value. However, we still do not understand much of the social motivation behind the practice for most geographic regions. The two most popular motivations anthropologists and historians have theorized is that the Mayans partook in this body modification for aesthetics or horizontal mobility, which just means the switching from one position to another without a change in social status. Some claim that the practice was associated with nobility, more specifically differentiating Mayans from Mexicans. At one point, cranial modification seems to be regionally specific. In areas of the late classic period near Piedras Negras and Yaxchilan, then it was ambiguous about the predominance of the tabular oblique form for kings, queens, and nobility. But at other times, the practice is widespread across gender and class. <laughs> In 1919, Tesla concluded that there was no clear pan-Mayan association between cranial modification and hierarchical social status. Instead, he asserts that cranial modification was used to create and transmit multiple messages at different times and in different places. He claims it was a way of influencing the individual's body and lived experience to embody and display all the appropriate messages of being Mayan. He notes the lack of universal patterns across Mayan civilizations when looking at archaeological contexts, which are subject to change across time and space. Quote, The lived experience and development of bodies is so fundamentally social that bodies cannot simply be regarded as a biological canvas on and through which social realities are constructed. End quote. It seems cranial modification, like other long-practice body modifications, may be too complex of a practice to claim one unified message or objective. <laughs> Tesla's holistic approach allowed for other specific questions about this form of cranial modification that are still being discussed today, like what implications does cranial shaping have on the brain itself, which is applied to many cases other than the Maya. 
For this debate is ongoing with varying arguments and causes for and against the impacts of cranial modification. Most recent studies have found no evidence for increased osteological or neurological affliction. Still, scientists are looking into cranial modifications, many effects on the function of the brain and its many differing systems. But contemporary and ancient Mayans seem to have only mild concerns for its effect on brain function, which makes me question the limits of cranial modification in general. So I'll ask you, if you could change your head shape with little to no physiological consequences, what shape would you pick and why? I hope you enjoyed this smaller follow-up episode on Mayan cranial modification, another interesting case in age-related body modifications. If this goes well, I will consider doing follow-up episodes as often as I can, but thanks for listening, and don't forget to tweet me at The Modified View on Twitter with any questions. I'll see you next time. A big thank you to the talented Ali Larned and Kenneth Ketchum for the logo, and the musically exceptional Brian Esser for the sounds. Wow, that was so cool. I actually like that a lot.